If you want to be the president of the United States, get ready to open your wallet. And while you're at it, convince a bunch of your friends to open their wallets too. Running for president of the United States is astonishingly expensive. Helps if you have friends with deep pockets. According to OpenSecrets.org, candidates for president of the U.S. spent a cumulative $5.7 billion on the 2020 election campaign. That was billion with a B. B is in Bravo. B is in, oh boy, that's a lot of money. That is more than double what presidential candidates spent in 2016. At that time, Senator Joe Biden set a record by raising more than $1 billion, also with a B, dollars in campaign contributions. That would buy a lot of waffle fries. The incumbent President Trump raised $774 million, which would have been a record had it not been surpassed by Biden. Spending millions of dollars in an effort to take up residence at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, it seems to be a losing proposition, at least fiscally. The president earns a nice annual salary, 400000 a year plus benefits, but spending nearly a billion to land a job that pays far less than a million, it doesn't make a lot of financial sense. Whenever presidents leave office, they're often able to parlay their experience of being president into some pretty lucrative speaking and book deals, but still that doesn't make up the financial difference. It takes a lot of speaking engagements for even the highest paid speakers to earn a billion bucks. So why do candidates spend so much money trying to become president? That answer can be summed up in one simple word, Air Force One. Just kidding. I know that's more than one word. Power. The president of the United States is widely regarded as the most powerful person in the world, whose influence extends all around the globe. The president's policy decisions impact the lives of millions of U.S. residents and even far beyond the United States itself. Presidents can cause financial markets to fluctuate just with an offhand remark. They can send American troops to fight on foreign battlefields with a stroke of a pen. They may determine the fate of industry and companies and enterprises with a single executive order. If you are the president, your name is a daily fixture in the headlines, and historians will vie for the privilege of telling your story when your time in office comes to an end. That level of power, influence, prestige, it comes with a steep price tag. If you want to be the most prominent political figure in the world, you need to be willing to do nearly anything to earn that great privilege and position. And we're going to learn and hear a little more about what does it mean to be great right after this. Welcome to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, brought to you by Word of Flame Curriculum and the Pentecostal Publishing House. This podcast encourages adult disciples to think deeply about God's Word, further develop their personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and make a greater commitment to the purpose and plan of God for their lives. Let's dive into today's lesson and explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. Good day to you, God's Word for Life listeners. You're listening to the God's Word for Life Companion Podcast, and I'm your host, L.J. Harry. Happy to be on the show with you today. Today's episode stems from a lesson that is dated February 19th, 2023, and it's entitled Kingdom Principles. It comes from the passage we've been studying over the last couple of weeks, Mark chapter 10, verse 43 and 44 is where we will jump off today. But so shall it not be among you, but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, and whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. The greatest. There's a lot of arguing going on right now on who is the greatest of all time. 
the argument will go on now until Jesus comes, probably, about who is the GOAT, the greatest of all time, who's the greatest NFL quarterback of all time, who is the greatest NBA basketball player of all time, Michael Jordan. Historians also argue about which presidents would be considered the greatest. However, four of them have been immortalized in a fashion like none of the other 40-plus presidents can claim. Sculptor Gutzon Borglum blasted the likenesses of George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Abraham Lincoln, and Theodore Roosevelt into the granite face of Mount Rushmore. Creating an iconic monument draws more than two million visitors to South Dakota's Black Hills every year. And the lovely and I took our girls out there one year, and we got to see it for ourselves, and it was awesome. Now, most of us will never see our face carved in the side of a mountain. Most of us would like to think that our influence and our legacy will live on even after we leave this world, that we will not be forgotten, and what we have given to the world will not be forgotten. Jesus addressed that very basic human desire when he told his disciples, whoever desires to be great among you, he shall be your servant. Jesus explained that the road to greatness, it doesn't run along the path of self-promotion, or unfettered authority. Greatness is not about commissioning a sculpture in your honor or gaining a million followers on social media. Believe it or not, Jesus did not have a Twitter account. True greatness comes when one person humbly serves another, even when nobody else notices. Just in case Jesus' disciples didn't really understand his words, then Jesus added, And whosoever among you desires to be first shall be slave of all. Now let's stop here for a moment and ask this question. What does pop culture teach us about greatness? What does it mean to be great? How do you become great? How do you know you're great? And do those lessons conform or conflict with what Jesus taught? Imagine the disciples' humiliation when Jesus asked them what they were arguing about. They had good reason to be embarrassed. They were arguing about who will be the greatest. They probably blushed, at least they should have. When they shared with Jesus, Jesus asked them, almost like a parent asking a child, wait a minute, what are you guys talking about? They just kind of hung their heads and looked down at their sandals and played with the dirt. One of them spoke up and said, we want to know who's the greatest disciple. Hopefully when they heard themselves say that, they realized just how silly that argument must have sounded to Jesus. Sometimes the best way to gain perspective on a disagreement is to take it to Jesus and confess it audibly to him in prayer and listen and say, really? I'm really upset about that? Sometimes that's the greatest thing we could possibly do. They were concerned about their social standing. Who is greatest? We've got 12 guys here. We've got others around us who have been following us. We have a whole entourage of of women who have been ministering to Jesus and helping to meet financial needs for Jesus in his dynamic dozen. So concern about social standing is an inborn human trait. We want to be known. We want to make the best grades, be the most athletic, be the most physically attractive. Even in adulthood, we can't shake that obsession. We want to drive the nicest car, live in the biggest house, make the most money. We want to be voted most likely to And yet we willingly exhaust ourselves to attain all these status symbols when they really don't matter. It has been widely observed that we will spend money we do not have to impress people we don't even like. Even people of faith, they're not immune to this sort of social posturing. Let me ask you this question. What talents or possessions have you envied in others? And why do you think you've wanted those particular gifts or blessings? 
I, I, I would love to be able to sing great. I don't sing great at all. I sing all the time, everywhere, and I love to sing. But I'm not a great singer, certainly not a solo singer. So I would love to be able to sing great where people would say, oh, that's beautiful. Instead, they say, oh, <laughs> can you shut the door? We debate about who is the most gifted preacher, singer, musician, which church, which conference should be at the top of our list. In fact, even at those conferences, you'll hear people say after that conference, so which one was the message of the conference? We work so hard to be considered the greatest. We want to be in the conversation when people are talking about the greatest. And yet that's not Jesus's intention for us at all. The disciples might have been a little bit surprised when Jesus didn't immediately launch into a full-fledged rebuke. Instead, he used that moment to teach a lesson that still applies today. Jesus began by saying, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. Mark 9, verse 35. And to illustrate that point, he took a child in his arms and he said to his disciples, You see this child? I want you to be like one of them. I want you to receive one of them. For whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name receives me. Children don't often worry about all the things adults obsess over. They probably don't care if your car has the platinum package or the base package. They don't commend you on your well-crafted lesson. They don't lie awake at night fretting about who was not at church on Sunday. They don't worry about if the church we're a part of has more than the church a few miles away. But they do notice when we show them genuine love and affection and concern. Children have an uncanny ability to spot a fake. They can tell who really cares and who doesn't, and they respond accordingly. Children usually can't repay the love we show them. Our church's largest offerings probably not pouring in from the toddler class. They typically don't give their Sunday school teachers birthday cards stuffed with cash. Ministering to children who require so much and return so little, it usually doesn't bring much recognition or reward here, but Jesus assured us when we humbly receive the weakest and lowliest and youngest, we receive him. Jesus also promised that we have a heavenly Father who openly rewards the good we do in secret. What does greatness look like to the greatest to have ever lived? According to Jesus, it looks like showing kindness to others in a spirit of humility. He said, if any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. Greatness is volunteering to teach the Sunday school class nobody wants to teach. Greatness is changing dirty diapers and wiping runny noses in the church nursery without complaining. It's blisters and calluses at the all-church workday. It's showing up for prayer meeting after a long day at work when you really just would rather go home. It's driving out of your way to pick somebody up so you can bring them with you to church. It's faithfully serving on the job even when your boss does not seem to notice. It's remaining faithful to a struggling marriage with an unsaved spouse. It's responding to hate with kindness and choosing reconciliation over retaliation. Greatness is having a servant's heart. And how do you know you have a servant's heart? Well, Pastor Erwin Ludzer is quoted as saying, look at your reaction when you are treated like a servant. None of us appreciates being treated inferior to anybody else, and yet Jesus said, if the world hate you, you'll know that it hated me before it hated you. John 15, verse 18. Jesus' contemporaries, they didn't recognize his greatness until it was too late. They had already crucified him. It's very possible that we're more likely to carry a cross than to wear a medal. But those who follow Jesus must be okay with that. 
So let me ask you the question Pastor Lutzer posed. How do you feel when people treat you like a servant? Do you feel like you deserve better? Or do you feel like it's an honor to be known as a servant of Jesus Christ? Think about when you were young, when people would ask you the question, so what do you want to be when you grow up? And sitting there in third grade math class, we thought about having a job that made a lot of money and made us famous, a job like a doctor, a lawyer, or a a superstar athlete. And as we grew older, we realized that some of those may be out of our reach. And so we abandoned those dreams for things that we knew God had given us and we could do. And for some, it was because they discovered the joy and fulfillment in another career or ministry that closely matched what God had created them to do. Many successful people have found that serving others and financial reward, they're not mutually exclusive. Ultimately, We serve other people by serving God. As we follow him and submit to his word, God will direct us into areas of service that closely match our talents and our temperament. He created us to serve with joy, not to spend our days just chasing a paycheck or fulfilling somebody else's dream for our life. Jesus loves us and has prepared a place for us in his kingdom. It is a place of service. We get into trouble when we prioritize position above service. In Matthew 19, verse 28, Jesus promised the 12 disciples, one day you will sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. In Mark 10, verse 35, James and John came to Jesus with a follow-up request. In fact, Matthew records they drafted their mom into presenting their petition. That's always the way to go. Hey, don't ask. Get mom to ask. And when Jesus asked what they wanted, they responded, we want you to grant unto us that we may sit, one in your right hand and the other on your left hand, in your glory. And Jesus responded by essentially saying, you have no idea what you're asking for. They were guilty of seeing only the perks of positions of power, conveniently overlooking the sacrifices and struggles that happened behind the scenes in order to get there. People want to be the leader until a crisis arises and there's uh, not my call. In those moments, We're content. We sit back and second-guess the person in charge, and we breathe a sigh of relief. Thank God that's not us. It's easy to be frustrated when it seems like God is overlooking us while promoting others, but he knows what we can handle. And he loves us too much to give us everything we think we want when we want it. God knows whether we're ready for the pressure that will come at this next level of service. It's better to bloom where he plants us than to be destroyed by being promoted too quickly and not being ready for it. God knows when we're ready. And when the time is right, the right door will open. In the meantime, let's serve God. Let's serve the kingdom by serving others. In the right time, God will call our number and we will have success, but it won't be because we forced it. It will be because we trusted his timing. Here's another question. How have you felt when others were given opportunities and you were overlooked? And think about how you felt at that time Has your perspective changed over time? Unfortunately for James and John, the other 10 disciples heard their conversation and they were not happy about it. And their response seemed to have been, I should have thought to ask Jesus for that. That's not fair. How come I didn't get the chance? They wanted their resumes to be at the top of the stack. If two people get to sit, one on your right, one on your left, then we want to sit one on your right, one on your left. They were upset because they thought James and John beat them to the top of the ladder, head of the line and presented Jesus with a prime opportunity to share a very important kingdom principle with his closest followers. 
You guys are imitating Gentile rulers. You're seeking power and position. And yet Jesus said, they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them, Mark 10, verse 42. But in God's kingdom, not so. The path to power is not flexing your muscles and stomping on everybody who gets in your way. Jesus corrected them, but it will not be among you. We live by a different set of guidelines and principles. Just like he did in Mark 9, Jesus turned the accepted leadership principles of his day on their head. You want to be great? Be a minister. You want to be chief? Be a servant. Then Jesus used his own life as an example of true kingdom service. For the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give his life a ransom for many. Mark 10, verse 45. If anybody deserved to be served, it was Jesus. And Jesus came to serve. In situations where a leader has abused power, how could this style of servant leadership have made a difference in the outcome? Jesus was the shining example of servant leadership. He turned 12 ordinary men into a movement that claimed more than 2.5 billion, with a B, followers in 2020. He didn't commission his followers to make converts by the sword or some display of power, but rather by putting God first and loving their neighbors as themselves. And in so doing, his church has become a global force for good and thrive in the face of persecution. Serving others means telling them about Jesus. Like the book of Acts believers, we're called to turn our world upside down, which can seem overwhelming at first. I get that. The world's a mess. But we must remember God doesn't hold us accountable for what we cannot control. He simply calls us to take responsibility for what happens within our world, our sphere of influence. Let's make a difference for the masses by beginning to make a difference for one. It begins by serving a friend or a neighbor in need. Last question, how can you serve somebody today? Okay, we wrap this up. One of the greatest portraits of servanthood is found in John 13. The Christians usually call that the Last Supper. After sharing a meal with his 12 disciples, Jesus surprised all of them by taking off his outer garment and wrapping a towel, which was the attire of a common household servant. He wrapped the towel around his waist. He poured water into a basin, stooped down, and began to wash his disciples' grime-covered feet. The disciples were shocked and embarrassed, put off. Washing feet was considered a menial task, far beneath the dignity of esteemed teacher, miracle worker like Jesus. Peter was especially incensed. Thou shalt never wash my feet, he huffed. But Peter didn't understand why Jesus was doing what he was doing. This was about more than just cleaning feet. Jesus was preparing to shed his blood on the cross for the spiritual cleansing Peter and the rest of the disciples so desperately needed. When he finished making his way around the table, Jesus put his outer robe back on and took his seat again. And then he asked, Know ye what I have done to you? John 13, verse 12. And John doesn't record the disciples' answer. Maybe their only response was a blank stare. Shock evident in their eyes. Maybe they were already beginning to grasp this uncomfortable implication of Jesus' actions. If the Son of God was willing to assume the role of the lowest household servant, what did that mean for them? How far should they be willing to stoop? Then Jesus broke the silence by answering his own question. 
If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. They heard Jesus' words. Maybe James and John thought back to their earlier request about being seated on the Lord's left hand and right hand, and maybe they blushed again with embarrassment, realizing just how silly their request was. Or maybe the realization came after Jesus resurrected from the dead and they had time to process everything that happened. One thing is certain, the disciples eventually grasped the message Jesus wanted to convey and they spent their lives serving others and establishing the church Jesus envisioned. Eventually, they even gave their lives as martyrs for the sake of the gospel. In both life and death, the disciples illustrated the words of the Apostle Paul in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 7. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. Jesus did. Now may we be willing to go and do the same. I would like us to pray for God to give us a heart like his, the heart of a servant, and then for God to use us to serve others, especially those who cannot give back to us. Lord Jesus, help us to be willing to serve Help us to be willing to have the heart of a servant. When we are treated like a servant, we will count it an honor and a privilege to get to serve you and serve others. I ask you today, Lord, give us that heart. For those of us in leadership, help us to lead as a servant. Help us to make sure that people who are following us have everything they need. We can help them, provide for them everything they need to help them as they follow you. I ask you today, Jesus, to use us to minister and serve others, especially those who can't give back to us. May we serve solely for the purpose of serving. Help us not to have ulterior motives, but Lord Jesus, I pray, use us for your glory. I thank you for all you're going to do in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much, God's Word for Life listeners. Be sure to click subscribe and share and get turn the notifications on so you won't miss any episodes. As soon as they drop, you will know, and you can be able to listen to God's Word for Life and share it with others and so they can hear the God's Word for Life companion podcast as well. After you subscribe, go ahead and head over to PentecostalPublishing.com, and you'll find a whole catalog of resources, Bibles, Bible studies, books, music, devotionals. You'll find children's books, youth books. You'll find great resources for everyone, disciples of all ages, two all the way up to 102, so we can minister to them the Word of God as parents, as pastors, as leaders, as teachers, and if most of all, as sheep, as disciples of Jesus ourselves. We can grow in our faith and help others grow in theirs. Pentecostalpublishing.com, great resources for your walk with Jesus Christ. Next week, we continue and wrap up this series on putting others first. And the last lesson is called A God of Justice. Then it comes from a beautiful passage in Micah 6, verse 8. Looking forward to sharing that with you next week. And always look forward to learning and living out God's Word for Life. Thank you for listening to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast where together we explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. If you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you are looking for other Bible study tools and resources to encourage you in your walk with God, visit us today at PentecostalPublishing.com.